back on the whiskey. I know. It's been a long time. <laughs> this used to be like the whiskey, the tech and whiskey show. Yeah. And we switched to beer forever because... But I don't have any bottles in front of me, so no, no squeaking. Don't worry. No cork squeaking. Right. No, I, and, have the uh, cork. I have the cork secured over here, so John cannot... Cannot reach it. Yeah, can't use it as his personal So A, no board. squeaking, and, and B, no, no Fitbit face. I'm going to say do some editing. So I am drinking uh, Baker's 7-Year 107 Proof. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It is a sour mash whiskey. <clears throat> and I'm doing my all-time favorite, the Four Roses Single Barrel. All-time favorite. Now, all-time. Is this one of those that every time you buy a bottle of it, you're getting it from a it's from a different barrel? Yes. Yeah. Do you are you tracking differences in the flavors? Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, what's the point of single barrel then if you don't if you're not noticing variations amongst the bottles? It's just always been a good whiskey. I've never I've never gotten it and not enjoyed it. Mm. It's 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 got a good flavor to it. It's it's smooth. There's not a lot of spice to it. Like a lot of these whiskeys, they have a lot of spice to them, like the makers and things like that, which mm. I tend to shy away from i like a smoother whiskey uh the spice i'm not big a fan of you don't like uh, spicy stuff no i like spicy you know what i mean by spicy there's like there's like a pepperiness to it or something i think that's from the i don't know i think it's probably from the type of oak or the type of treatment the barrel gets maybe um i mean i you could some people say it's from the, the rye content <clears throat> which damn it i should have brought that beer but my two percent ipa is ready oh nice <clears throat> Well, I'll say that I'm actually going to let it condition for a while because it's, it's got a distinct like hop bitterness to it. I think that's because just the, the balance between them, there's just not very much malt there, right? To balance mm -hmm. the hops. So like the bitterness is coming through more, but <clears throat> I think it's the kind of bitterness that will drop out and with a couple of weeks of conditioning. Okay. But anyway, people, and that, that beer is 50% rye, but you get no spiciness from it. And people always say that, like, oh, you know, I could taste the rye spice if there's, uh, they're drinking a rye beer or mm -hmm. something and, or rye whiskey. Do you get that? No. I, I, so this, I, that, there's certain ryes where I, I feel like there's a spice to it, but I don't see that as a condition of the rye. Like I've had other rye whiskeys and, and beers that I'm like, this, this is great. This is smooth. This is, this is awesome. And the other thing about rye is that I forever thought I did not like rye because I don't like what we usually call rye bread. Mm. But it turns out I just don't like caraway seeds. Me too. Seeds. I don't like caraway <laughs> seeds. Yeah. I actually like rye bread, like a plain rye or like a pumpernickel that doesn't yeah. have the caraway. I, I like it a lot. It just tastes like, you know, some kind of bread product. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly me too. I had the same same problem. But, you know, I, anytime that I, there's like a sandwich on the menu I want, if it's got rye, I can't order I because it may have caraway seeds. Sometimes yeah. they don't, you know, but a lot of times they do. Yeah, that does ruin it for me. Fennel is kind of iffy with me too. Oh, There's only yeah. certain things I can handle fennel in, and it's got to be a small amount. But yeah, like if it's done right in like an Italian sausage, I mm -hmm. you know I think it's good. But boy, it can it can quickly get overpowering for me. Yeah, rosemary's gotten like that with me too. I used to just be able to eat sprigs of rosemary. Now it's like if it's going to be anything, it needs to be subtle because it's just mm -hmm. so overpowering. I feel like I get a pine tree jammed down my throat. You know, <laughs> there's too much rosemary. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot of that on steaks these days. See these YouTube videos and they have, is it rosemary or is it thyme that they're sticking on that? What is it? The sprig? Yeah. Oh, that's rosemary. Yeah. I'm like, hey, it doesn't need that. I know it's it doesn't. Steak. It doesn't. I know. I mean, I've done things before where like, because one of the ways I like to finish steak is on an incredibly hot pan. Mm -hmm. And after I sear one side for like maybe a minute, I'll flip it over. And when I flip it over, I'll also throw in like a pretty good sized hunk of butter in there. 
and I'll kind of tilt the pan so the butter all runs down. But I'll, I'm just constantly spooning that butter up on the steak. <clears throat> but you can also just like kind of wash a, a sprig mm-hmm. of rosemary through that butter really quickly just to get a little bit of, a little bit of you know, herbal Herbine, yeah. aspect to it. Yeah, that brown butter. When that butter starts to brown, oh, that's, man. That's, that's liquid gold. It sure is. <laughs> and someone, I heard a long time ago, someone said that, you know, one of the secrets of steakhouse is to bring in this like shiny, delicious looking steak is that they finish it with butter on top. That's why I like to do it though, so it browns a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, just sticking butter on it is not good enough. That's just kind of, it's just there. It like, you get, it, the skillet kind of browns that butter and yeah. that's where the flavor really comes in. So, Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, it's uh, this week. Welcome to the Good Day Cooking this, Show. This week in food and <clears throat> beverage. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's because we have nothing to talk about. We kind of don't. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Well, we've got stuff. It's just, eh, it's meh. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really tired. My wife was out of town for five days. and So daddy duty. I quite appreciate the services that she provides to our family <laughs> on a daily basis. <clears throat> so I'm still like yeah. reeling from that. And uh, just work stuff. It's, it's crazy. So. Yeah, I'm, I don't have any, like, I don't want to get into any, like, super technical conversation. I just don't think I can. Oh. I can't handle it. Well, I got super technical stuff for you. No. Well, if you want to, I mean, I just, I'll, I'm just going to be listening. I'm going to be an audience. I'm going to be in the audience for you, John. Well, let's do, let's do one news item that we can't avoid, because I'm sure everyone wants to know our opinion on this, and that's the, the Benioffs. I got to say that right. The Benioffs acquired Time Magazine, which is odd, because it's, when I when I saw the news headline, it said, you know, Salesforce co-founder Benioff buys Time Magazine. But then as later more articles came out, they were including his wife in it. And they started doing the, the Benioff family or the Benioffs. The I Benioffs. saw his wife from, from, for the, from the first thing. And if you'd right. read, read their press release, you know, she's, <clears throat> you know, he's all about the women. You know, you've got to promote the women. So he's, and then when you look at their press release, it's like Mark, what's her name? Lynn? Mark and Lynn. So, yeah. Everything's Mark and Lynn, Mark and Lynn. Yeah. If he really wanted to promote women, it would be Lynn and Mark. Oh, yeah. And Mark in parentheses. Yeah. And a smaller font. Yeah. Or he'd take her name. <clears throat> that's true, yeah. Yeah. Or at least oh, yeah. they'd hyphenate or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is this patriarchal <laughs> bullshit? <laughs> but there really isn't much to it. I mean, they bought it. Uh, he's, he's following the lines of, of other rich tech people buying news. What was it? Bezos, the bot. Was it Washington Post? Or... Uh, yeah, well, yeah, Wapo, Wapo, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I don't. I mean, on the one, okay, on it, the it, surface, it, there's not much to it, but I think when you dig down, there's. I think there's a lot to it. Well, according to the articles, a lot. First of, of all, he dropped two hundred million dollars on it, so it's an investment. No, it's not. It's a failing. And I, I, by the way, that reminds me. Of this, but as it came out of my mouth, I immediately thought to myself, "What is Trump <laughs> going to call this?" Because after um, after Bezos bought Wapo. You know, Trump started tweeting, he's been tweeting attacks, you know, several mm-hmm. times he has in the past um, towards Bezos and, and Washington Post. And of course, he's got these different, I don't know what he calls Washington Post, but, you know, New York Times is the failing New York Times, and he's got all these nicknames. I was like wondering what, you know, <clears throat> if he catches, or if, if Benioff and Time catches Trump's attention, what is he going to nickname Benioff and Time Magazine now? I can't mm. wait to find out. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> But, Although I don't really see time as news. I, I, I see it kind of more like political pop culture. I don't, I don't it's, it's a magazine. It's not a I don't news, read it. It's not a um, newspaper. But it's a, it's, a weekly, it's a weekly news periodical. I guess. Maybe it's evolved to that. I think just, technically it's considered news. Just my, my knowledge of time is always the cover of time. I've never actually read a time magazine. I've always just seen the cover published in places. Yeah, and it's, time is <laughs> iconic because 
we're told it's iconic, not because anyone actually reads the damn thing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, it's like people people think nowadays that the idea of a weekly news periodical is just anachronistic. Uh, it, well, yeah, the media the medium has changed. It's dead, yeah. you know, before it even gets printed. Yep. I mean, the news is, you know, the, the news cycle has passed at that point. But it's still a strong brand, and it, it has it has its hook, which is the cover, and what they choose to put on that cover, which tends to be controversial, intentionally. Yeah, they've been like, they've been like anti-Trump, apparently. I guess. No, they, I don't know. They um, they, they stay. I, I I don't find them to be. I don't find them to <clears throat> to lean one way or another. I, I oh. see them. Well, the coverage that I I don't read Time, so I don't even know this. But the coverage I read of this and Time in general is that and is that Time is left leaning and and has been anti-Trump. That doesn't surprise me, but I I think when it comes to their headlines and their controversial headlines, they're willing to to bat for either side in the name of, of controversy. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's anything that gets them good attention, yeah. right? Yeah. Any, what is it? Any PR is good PR or something, yeah, something like, that? like that? Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that you spend even, even a guy who's worth five or $6 billion like Benioff. I mean, I don't think you spend 200 million because I mean, think about it. Most of his wealth is caught up in Salesforce stock. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's got three or $4 billion in his bank account. Right. So, if he did have to write a check for two hundred million dollars, that was a significant percentage of what was in his bank account. And you well, don't not to mention all the hospitals <clears throat> he's he's on the hook for, and the... uh, yeah, well, true because we don't like on his whatever the what's the is it multiple hospitals? I think there's two. He sponsors okay. well, anyway. The big one that I knew was the the children's the children's UCSF, yeah. and um, you know, I mean, I didn't. We we don't know, we we're not privy to what that payment schedule is. Right? Was it a pledge for two hundred million, and you, it's over ten years? He writes a check, twenty million dollars every year. I have no idea. Right. So yeah, is he still having to pay that out? I mean, I don't. I mean, this that gets to. I don't. I don't care about his personal financial problems. I don't feel sorry for him. Okay, <laughs> let's just say that. Um, but you know, you don't. You don't. This, even for him, that's a lot of money. Is my point. And so it has to be for something. The question is, well, what the hell did you do it for? I mean, it's it's a failing enterprise. It, I believe, is losing money. It uh, is losing subscribe. It lost. Um, I, I, I have notes here, but I don't know if I even want to read them. But it, it, you know, in their last, I guess they have to every quarter they publish their subscriber numbers, mm-hmm. and they just, you know, they've lost a significant percentage. Well, my theory is that they've 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 lost. They've missed the boat of kind of the digital transformation of news. They haven't. They just didn't. They weren't able to turn that corner. I'm going to keep using metaphors. <laughs> They never, they weren't able to ride their ship. Right. Well, I, I think <laughs> they that's, missed, the, they missed the train. I think that's the reason right there. It could be. And I've is, thought is, of that too. Is you have, you know, people, people in tech like Bezos and now Benioff buying these companies who come from a techn- technology background. And I think they might be able to steer it towards becoming that. And in essence, because news and media is this 24-hour cycle, this constant stream of information that it, that it provides, it gives them a, a brand to be able to explore that. Yeah, I think, I think I'm kind of following you there. They're buying the brand in order to further reinvent or disrupt media. You know, that, and that's kind of along what I thought when I read those words that they've, they kind of missed the digital, tra- the digital transformation of media. And I thought, well, I mean, who better to fix that yeah. for them than Mark Benioff? Right. I mean, not that he's a coder or whatever. Um, yes, he is. 
wrote Applesoft, I remember. Yeah, right. He wrote the game, right? Or whatever. But we also know this about him. I've never really read a book on computer science. So I'm not sure you want him doing your, you know, your digital transformation. No, but you, but want, he can, you want him he can out hire front. some people. You he, want him out front being right. charismatic Benioff and, and uh, fourth industrial revolution Benioff. Exactly. And, and he'll send Richard Socher in there, one of, yeah. one of his other lieutenants, and they'll, they'll figure it out. So, I mean, I, I think that might make some sense. I mean, he actually might see a business opportunity there. I think so. Because apparently, although, mm. again, although 200 million is a lot of, or was it, what was 190, I guess? I keep saying 200. Although 190 million is, is a lot of money, I mean, a lot of people were just surprised because you know, even just like five years ago, I think time was worth closer to a billion. Mm. So he's getting it, you know, certainly cheaper than what it, a lot cheaper than it was before. And, and, you know, hey, buy low, fix it, and sell high, right? If it wasn't time, a bunch of different things, and then someone bought it, and then they started splitting out parts of it or selling parts of it. Yeah, and like, I I think this is just Time Magazine because, for example, like you know, Money and some of these other things that are yeah. owned by Time Inc. I don't think he's getting yeah. any of those. <clears throat> and yeah, and I, there's there's this whole backstory of how these different companies have been bought and sold, and then now they're being kind of just more parted out. You know, and right. that's what's happening here with Time Magazine. But well, it'll be interesting to see what he does with but it. But here's, here's the main reason I think he bought Time Magazine. Why? Because he can make himself person of the year every year. <laughs> and that seems like a very Benioff thing to do. Well, he, he hasn't made the cover, so now he can, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're going to f- talk about fixing uh, you know, missed opportunities. Imagine if your life goal was, I want to be on the cover of Time one day, and, you, and you're like, no, oh, the only way I'm going to make that happen now is if I buy the damn thing. Right. <laughs> Quick call to your accountant. Hey, can I buy Time Magazine for $200 million? Well. Mark, you know, um, you're, you're committed and uh, you've got these, uh, you know, commitments that are in the future here. I mean, you, you could, but okay, do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, he's got more time on his hands. He, he's, he's got a co-CEO, yeah. so he's got more time on his hands yeah. to, you know, he's, he's being constructive. Yeah. But they say they're not going to do anything with it all. They're, I know, they're going to just keep their hands off it, which, <clears throat> of course, I don't think anyone believes that. No. <clears throat> That that seems like the obligatory to anyone who is it private? Did they privatize it or is it still public? I don't think it was. No, it was, it was private. It was private. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who they'd be saying that for. You know, normally, those things are kind of said to kind of ease investors or or stakeholders <laughs> that things aren't going to go crazy. <laughs> ease the stakeholders. But uh, but if it's private, I'm I'm not sure why they, why they weren't more bold about what was going to change and how they were going to. I don't know. Maybe it's just too early to say out loud. Well, I think you want to, uh, okay, so there's this, there's this whole other line of thinking around all of these different publications that have been bought by basically West Coast tech billionaires. <clears throat> there's a lot of concern about this trend because most of these publications are all, you know, East Coast, old, old money, you know, whatever, and, mm-hmm. and, and very influential publications. I mean, so you mentioned, you know, Washington Post, but you've also got L.A. Times, um, The Atlantic, uh, San Diego. Oh, was it San Diego Times? I think it was the same guy that bought L.A. Times. Oh. And then uh, uh, there's, I don't know, there's a couple other ones I can't remember now. But all you know, traditional, for the most part, old school you know, media properties that are being bought by these tech billionaires. And... <laughs> At some point, that that can that kind of becomes a problem. 
you know, if it's just one or two, that's fine. But when it becomes six, seven, eight, ten, uh, interesting. I'm, well, the the wealth is concentrating in those areas as well. It's not just there's a correlation there. Yeah, and it's funny. I was reading. I was I kind of was seeing what Twitter was having to say about this, and I I ran across this. What is it called? I guess a tweet storm when you just like tweet and keep replying to yourself over and over or whatever. Like, so you can just. Oh, I don't know. I don't tweet. <clears throat> no, no, I'm asking the wrong person. I don't do the tweets. <laughs> but it it was really interesting. It, the first few tweets were, I, I was kind of fascinated. They were, because it it's kind of a critical take on, on this, on the, on the purchase. But then it got more and more weird. And then I looked at who I was, who this person was. And they were like um, some editor of a socialist UK magazine. I'm like, mm. oh, okay, that's probably why it's getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things she said was uh, Salesforce is a great demonstration of the power of digital technology, which has proven conducive to centralization and hence very useful for capital accumulation. Like, yeah, that's what's happening here with Salesforce. If you control enough of a particular service, you can essentially charge monopoly rent and reinvest that into growing. That was like the, literally the, like the most interesting tweet out of all of them. And it's, and it's, I know it's kind of out of context, but... Um, oh, here, and here's another comment you know, along the same line. So the deals are helping to shift the reins of power media from the old guard of East Coast publishing to, uh, uh, to West Coast elites with new money. Oh, also, the, another quote, uh, most critics say that a news publication can never be truly independent of the influence of its owner, which, duh. Even you and I who don't know the first thing about media, except that... Most of it's a bunch of BS. <laughs> uh, we, even, we, even, we knew that. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, One of our says, first arguments on this show was around oh, journalistic yeah, integrity. Yeah. So since the perennial argument. I don't, I don't think we need to get into that again. <laughs> uh, but Yahoo says, that, or their finance editor-in-chief says, the real reason why he wants to buy this is to increase his profile. He wants to be more than just a software CEO billionaire. For many people, that would be enough. For him, it is not enough. He wants to be a nationally known figure. More people know who Mark Benioff is today than his entire life because he bought Time Magazine. Hmm. So, you know, $200 million for name recognition, I guess. Guess. I mean, if you can, if you can, if the check clears, then okay. I don't know. I don't, I don't like that train of thought. Kind of makes him seem narcissistic. Well, he didn't have, I mean, did you read his rationale for why he bought it? Or why, sorry, why they bought it? When just, there was nothing, there was nothing there. It's like, and I wish I had the quote up, but he's. It's just something like, "Well, we like Time Magazine, and it's iconic, and uh, we just want to make sure it, you know, it keeps being Time Magazine or something like that." I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, that's that. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. This trend is trend is happening along other changes in technology and economics that are pushing power and media from New York and Washington to L.A. and Silicon Valley. Oh, also, uh, that's what it is. It's a conspiracy. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's sure. East Coast against West Coast. Oh, wow. Uh, for the new guard of w wealthy West Coast titans, media is the new philanthropy. Hmm? That's what this was, right? This was philanthropy. Oh, God. I hate, I hate, I, I mean, hate how not, philanthropy has got kind uh, of taken I mean, this evil turn. Oh, oh, you're so naive, John. So much of philanthropy is evil. Mm. I like to think people do things out of the goodness of their heart to oh, genuinely no. help people and not for the acquisition of power or recognition. I mean, look at how much evil has done something mm. about people writing big checks to campaigns. Mm. I mean, <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and here we go. Legacy titles, rich with, like Time Magazine, rich with history and cachet, or catch it, uh, give newcomers access to the talent and infrastructure needed to build influence. So because Mark needs to build influence. I don't know. I mean, you know what it is? It's the, the news feature in Salesforce just isn't doing it. And so now it's going to be the time, time news feed feature. Right. That's what it was. <clears throat> or maybe. Oh, and Salesforce has to license that from time. No, so, so he gets the money. There. I know how they make it profitable. They fire all the writers and editors and replace it with um, AI generated articles. Einstein. Yeah. That'll work. Well, they've already, they already planned to lay off. What was it? A um, thousand over the next year. Mm. That's great. Well, I mean, it's probably due for some restructuring and for some, I mean, disruption. I mean, that's... Why, why, what are you basing that on? Why do you feel like they're due for some disruption? I mean, they were just bought a year, a year or two ago. Are we talking about time? Yeah. This is the second time they've been sold in like the past year or two. Well, if you've got a vision for how, Meredith to, how, before to, then. how to make it work and it's, it's driven by technology and not people, then I can understand, I can see the rationale of having to lay off a certain degree of number of people. Yeah. But, I, or maybe it's just that Benioff, he just really wants to get Trump tweeting at him. He's, he's still playing the political game really well. I mean, I, I think didn't, I, I only read a headline, I didn't read in this article, but I think at some point he was giving props to the trade deals or something, saying that it's in boosted, boosted. Um, On the Salesforce quarterly earnings call, co-CEO Mark Benioff said that he's never seen CEOs spend so aggressively yeah. and that much of their money is going toward tools for digital transformation. Quote, they've benefited really dramatically from these tax cuts and especially from the deregulation focus, especially in the United States, Benioff said. Now, when I read stuff like that, I'm like, Benioff's not a, he's not a, a die-in-the-wool liberal. Not if you say stuff like that, like you're, you're promoting Basically, congratulating well, deregulation and tax cuts. He's not a Democrat or Republican. Know, he's, he's an American. Not, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, you shouldn't have to. I know. Speak I shouldn't have to. Clips, I, I shouldn't have to, but you're too slow on the uptake. Know, my computer's too slow. What? I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm an American. American. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he says, across the board, I don't know a CEO who's not aggressively spending at a level that I have not seen them spend on before. The, the comments appear to give credit to the tax cuts and deregulatory focus of the Trump administration. An interesting bit of praise by Benioff, who's been an outspoken Trump, uh, opponent of Trump policies on issues like immigration. And I think that's the way the system's supposed to work. You can disagree on certain things when you can agree on, on other things. It doesn't always have to be a win-everything thing. I agree. I, I well, feel that's what ca what's causing the stalemate in politics right now is that they have to win everything. They yes, can't just, no. they can't give the other side... A little bit of credit for, for no. one thing right. And not only that, you have to do everything you can, no matter how much stuff you have to make up or whatever. You have to discredit the other side. Yeah. It's you just, must constantly be in discrediting mode. It's just detrimental I in know. general. It's, I'm sick of it all. But no, I, I've always given cre uh, Benioff credit for being pragmatic when it yeah. comes to especially things like politics. Yeah. Absolutely. It's talking about batting for both sides. Right? <laughs> yeah. Stop with these analogies, man. No, you said that earlier. That was, a call, that was called a callback, John. That was oh. just a professional technique oh. I'm using here. See, I'm, I'm slacking. Is that whiskey? <laughs> it is. I, I told you I'm not a good sipper. Look at that. That's all I have left. Yeah, you don't know how to sip. You, uh, it's just gulps. It's like, well, hang on. That's like 110 proof whiskey. And John's over there, gulp. She set it down <laughs> 10 seconds later, gulp. 
I mean, you can sip. Your sips are supposed to be spaced by more than 10 seconds. I only have one speed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, John. Well, well, we want to get ourselves in trouble and talk about Dreamforce leaks. I'm kidding. Are there they're not Dreamforce leaks? leaks, but they're they're basically these press releases that tell you nothing but what your whistle so that when you go to Dreamforce, you know what to look for. Uh, one of them being, and it's all stuff that most of us in the community already know about, but say the casual customer or admin going to Dreamforce, this will be the first time they hear about it. They'll get all excited about it. They'll get the warm and fuzzies, all the feelies. Now, you need to make sure that you don't um, leak anything that is uh, exclusive to MVPs. Oh, this is off a of, this is off a of ZDNet. Okay. So, all right, I just want you in your head to cross. If the I have frames. a link to an article, I'm good. <laughs> I just noticed this Baker whiskey, and on the back it's signed. The signature is Baker Beam. I think it's Beam. With this, I wonder if that's related to Jim Beam. Mm, I always thought it was Jim Bean. You thought it was Jim Bean? Jim Bean. No, it's Beam. Is beam. it not? I don't know. Gosh, now you're gonna make me. I tried to. I tried to make the argument that it was Boulet and not Bullet. No, it's Beam. I say boulet. It's bullet. Well, okay. Just because people say bullet, the the name the person it's named after says it's bullet. Yeah, and the people that own Lacroix call it Lacroix, and the guy that created the GIF image format calls it GIF. Well, he's wrong. No, that's that, that's an appeal. To, well, he is wrong. Exactly. It's GIF. But I'm saying the appeal to authority, you know, doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't hold with me. No, sometimes you're just wrong, and doesn't matter who you are, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people that have they have a weird pronunciation of their name and they spell their name weirdly. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to tell them that you're wrong. You don't get to pick how your name is pronounced. Bucket or bouquet. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorites. <clears throat> For anyone who knows what I'm referencing. I don't. Well, I'll leave that, some, to, the, I'm sure I'll leave that to the community. We'll right. see. Okay. We'll see. Um, yeah, so Salesforce Quip adds slides. And I think the interesting thing about the slides is that it's data-driven from Salesforce. Slides, wow. What a, what a, and what an amazing groundbreaking technology slides you mean like i can actually convert my slide deck my foils into the computer mm-hmm. whoa and you can incorporate data from salesforce with it wow so they can always be up to date oh man now all your salespeople can sit there and create slides all day holy cow that's amazing no wonder they bought quip <laughs> Uh, actually, I don't see it as a bad thing. It, lo- it looks it looks pretty useful. I think in certain situations when you have a, the right kind of template and you're kind of rinsing repeating sales pitches and things, it's going to be a bad time saver, productivity thing. I sometimes wonder if, because I don't use Quip, but I, I wonder if it's one of these things that's like, it's probably like a really awesome, you know, uh, application, mm-hmm. but it's because it lives in Salesforce, it's never going to get, it's never going to catch on in, in a mainstream way. Like they're never going to compete with Google Docs or 365 or whatever. Yeah, I'm still on the... Even though it may be better. Like, it may be better. Yeah, it might be. But I, I, th- I think part of me is that I just, I just Google Docs is much more accessible. I like the tooling in it. And it's it, it would feel like another tool that I'm forced to use. Whereas Google, I kind of just grew into it and have learned it and enjoyed it. So, And even some of, the, some of my tools that I use are, are available on it, like plugins and things like that. So, yeah, that's... Well, that's like kind of the network effect, maybe, of something like Google. Like, it's so big that you've got this giant ecosystem of plugins. Well, like, I guess the way Salesforce is with um, AppExchange, the way Apple is with the, you know, the, the, or any OS vendor with their, you know, just the the community or the ecosystem of of all these third party application developers that are ISVs, I guess. I just wonder if I just need something, I, I need a bigger differentiation, I think, because like the whole reason I got into Google Docs is because. 
of the deficiencies of just having Word and spreadsheets on my desktop and how I can share them and they're online and they're yeah. on the cloud and we can collaborate on them. That was a big differentiation that forced me to, to learn and use Google Docs. But that's kind of what Quip does and there's not a big enough differentia- differentiator for me to say, oh, I'm going to start learning Quip hardcore because I want to be able to use that feature. Right. And, and it seems like, I mean, pretty much almost all of my clients will, <clears throat> will use Google Docs. That's the other thing. I mean, corporate IT departments have started to kind of approve Google Docs as, as the norm. Even if they're not approved, like typically people will still use it. They're like, oh, that's funny. I got a Gmail account. I'll, yeah, I'll use true. it. It might be frowned upon. But, yeah. but I think, I don't know if Quip is that accessible to everyone. I, I really have no idea. I haven't, I haven't kept up with some of the recent updates, but it was pretty accessible. It looks like they were adding some great features. I mean, it's from Salesforce, so I assume like you have to pay to use it. And whereas yeah, any, I, I can share a Google Doc to anyone and they don't have to pay anything. They don't have to pay a Google license fee to, to use and edit my document, right? I guess. I mean, it's free. So well, you, have to pay, you have to pay for Google if you want to use it with your company's domain name, right? And like, well, yeah, you have there's to, certain features you get if you buy that Google for business or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, in, anyone can just sign up for a free Google account and I can share to them anything I've created in the Google Drive suite of apps. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, still, I don't know if Quip, Quip is that easy and accessible. Well, maybe it'll get there. I mean, they're still so. they're still investing in it. And they're still adding stuff to it. So I'm I'm assuming they're they're growing that, and we'll see where it goes. And the toothbrush is amazing, from what I hear. This guy's did a really good you job. You know, I saw the commercial for that toothbrush, and I kind of want to get yeah. it. <laughs> I, I bet you there are a good number of Salesforce type types out there who have bought that Quip toothbrush just because it's called Quip. No, I bet you so. No. Yeah. Well, and also they. I mean, they 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 planted that seed with us back in the Phillips toothbrush days, the man baby toothbrush that Benioff likes. So yeah, much. you have to get the Phillips if you're going to be a hardcore Salesforce supporter, not a Quip. Does that still exist, though? Uh, and, and more importantly, is it still like using Salesforce technology or whatever it's supposedly used? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, the, the, the stories, the tall tales that we have been told at Dreamforces, man, you know? <laughs> I know, where's my drone and my Coke? <sighs> where's my uh, Will I Am watch or whatever? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where's my Pono or Punu or whatever that, what's this? I don't know. What, what's it called? <laughs> I think it's Pono. Pono. Pono? Yeah. I think it's still around. Yeah, it's it's dead. just. It's dead. You think it's dead? It is dead. I think people care more about access, accessibility to music than they do the quality of music. That, that's kind of this people generation. People can't tell the difference between. No, no, it's this generation. It's this generation. They, they care more about access to things than they do the quality of things. Everything to them is a stream, it's a feed, it's, it's instant access, it's instant gratification. They care more about instant gratification than they do about the quality of things. So I'll tell you a quick little anecdote about myself. <clears throat> the Sat XM satellite radio, mm-hmm. I cannot stand because I hear, what I'm hearing is a very, way too low uh, bit stream. Too mm-hmm. low, low, you know, low, uh, what's it called, bandwidth, I guess, or bit rate. Bit rate the yeah. bit rate is way too low, and I'm just hearing nothing but especially in the higher frequencies. I mean, I'm just hearing so many compression artifacts. I, I cannot listen. It bothers me. What's our compression? Aren't we at 96? Yeah, which is way better than what I hear on satellite radio. We should be at 128 if you really care. Uh, well, I think 96 is good enough for the spoken word. <laughs> and it's a lot of podcasts do 64, which is just, yeah. you know, what are we, you an animal? Well, I, think, I think Dan still recommends 64. Really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. But most people, they don't care. Like, my wife listens. She's fine with X and Ray. It sounds normal to her. There's nothing wrong with it. And I'm just like, this is literally hurting my ears. 
but she's driving and you can't touch the radio. Again, I'm just, you know, 90% <laughs> of people I don't think can tell the difference between a 128K and 256K MP3 or whatever, mm-hmm. AAC or whatever it is. It's, they cannot tell the difference. And I'm not sure on, depending on the program, which is the, that's the term we use in the digital music space for the type of thing you're listening to, the program. Mm-hmm. Um, Depending on the program, I, sometimes I can't tell the difference between 128 and 256. Now, I can tell the difference between 64 and 128, for sure. But, I mean, once you get past, and especially once you get past 192, I mean, even if I'm listening to, like, some orchestral music with, like, cymbal crashes and stuff, which normally, those, those require, like, there's nothing that requires more bit rate than a, cra- you know, than a, a, a crash cymbal or something like that that's got just mm-hmm. such this uh, harmonic so many different in the levels of harmonics that are interacting and everything and, and all these high frequencies um and and i think once i get past 192 i can't can't tell the difference but i'm also an old dude and my hearing isn't <laughs> what it used to be which is weird because you're talking about young people young people don't care about the quality which is weird because they should they have better hearing than older people do and you sh- you should care more because you can hear all those flaws because most of them are going to be in the upper register. Yeah, but most of them are walking around the city with their AirPods on with net, without noise canceling, so they can't tell anyways. That's true. Yeah. Well, I love how we just like <laughs> completely stereotype and generalize everything. Oh, they're millennials. They'll get over it. <laughs> oh, no, they won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so the next one, the big thing. Ow. Wow, that sounded like that hurt. I hit my funny bone. Our neighbor's going to be like, what's wrong with this guy? Sorry. There's a wall behind you. Um, we called it Einstein voice. Oh, yeah. Did we call it? Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. We eventually would have a voice assistant, and, and that's what's being announced. It's, uh, I think it's in pilot, or will be in pilot in winter 19, or summer, whatever we're on right now. Winter 19? Oh, it's going to pilot in winter 19? I think so. Oh, wow. Um, but it's going to be an application on your phone. I don't think it's going to be desktop enabled, but it'll be an application on your phone where you can initiate voice commands. I don't know what commands. It's really light on details right now, but uh, that's one thing to expect when you go to Dreamforce is to hear about voice. So Einstein's going to do all my work for me, yet I still I still can't. The accessibility of Lightning is still not to the point where I can use my keyboard for things. No, that doesn't matter. You won't have to use your keyboard. What if I What if I don't have a voice? I'm. What if I'm vocally disabled or or challenged, whatever the term is? <laughs> my my first use case for this is the traveling salesman. They're in their car. They're having to look up clients and companies, and they just, just be able to instantly do it with their voice. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like or uh, order a Coke with a drone. I don't know. We'll oh. see. We'll, we'll see what kind of crazy demonstration they have for this. I mean, do you think Salesforce can do a better job of this than Apple does? Apple does not do a good job. Google does better than Apple. This Siri is my, sucks. This is, this is my point. Do you think? Do you think Salesforce can do a better job than Apple? Yes. Based on what? Based on the fact that they're mainly trying to support commands being executed on a CRM, whereas Apple is having to develop a system that has this very rich, expressive system that can Google and understand anything. So whereas Salesforce you think basically this, has to be a... a it's going to be basic. It's, it just basically has to be a, a good version of Alexa that can attach to Salesforce. It's going to be a basic bot. Who knows? It's probably running yeah. Alexa in the background. It's probably using Amazon skills in the background. It's not a basic bitch. It's a basic bot. Yeah. How much do you want to bet it's using using Alexa? Alexa, cancel. Sorry. I can't say that, John. I think I said it earlier, too. Sorry. Yeah. But how much do you want to bet it's using Amazon skills? 
It might be. Back I, I doubt it. I don't think they want to tie themselves. Although Benioff uh, and Bezos are buddy buddy. Yeah, they're they're both uh media moguls now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sheesh. Benioff just he wanted to solidify himself in that club. That's you know yeah. I got to be in one of these clubs. He locked on the door and Bezos said you can't get in. Yeah, you, what until do you, you buy a, yeah. a, a news magazine. Yeah, you got to at least drop a couple hundred mil on on you know yeah. newspaper or something. Come on. And so he did. That's the price of admission. I um there. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is so. That's how like, you get into the Illuminati. Here's a here's a great metaphor of my life compared to Benioff's life. I tried to get in this Facebook <laughs> beer group the other day. Yeah, and the mission to get into it was you had to post a video of yourself chugging an entire beer. <laughs> so again, Benioff's life got around two hundred million dollar check. My life got to chug a beer. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> I like your life better. <laughs> I don't, have, uh, I don't have the means to write a check like that. Okay, so I, I googled. Uh, Einstein voice includes an assistant tool. Is it? A, it's a tool. It's a oh, tool. Einstein voice is going to be a tool. That's what I'm going to call it when which, it doesn't get things right. Exactly. Which can interpret voice memos. Leave some voice memos. It's such a weird word. I know. And enter data from what it hears. Not from what you say, but from what it hears. As well as surface, there's a difference. Words matter. Mm -hmm. As well as surface critical data from, oh, it can surface critical data from Salesforce using only voice commands. And they also have this. Uh, By the critical, bots. they mean standard objects only. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> oh. Einstein bot, voice bots, voice bot. It's like a voice box, but a voice bot. Mm -hmm. All these little play on. Oh, that maybe that's what they're names. doing. It's it's a voice command to initiate a bot command that then goes and no, retrieves. No, I think these are different things. I think the voice is what you said it was. It's like the you know, the um, the echo of Salesforce. You can just give it commands. Yeah, I mean, it's probably using Amazon <laughs> services to translate your voice into a command, into your verb action, whatever verb noun, whatever thingy, and then that goes to the Salesforce bot, who then does the querying and then returns the information, and then. Einstein reads that. See, I, I, I thought bots were things that can have a dial. Instead of like a, you know, I know you, you speak, of, hang on, instead of, instead of speaking a command and then it just does it in like this, that simple dialogue like that, that a bot was something that you have this ongoing dialogue with. Usually textual, right? Yeah. Not necessarily, but usually. Yeah. It's a, they're different things. And bots are also usually packaged in a way that they're meant to embed into like your website mm -hmm. or something like that. Just saying, the technology seems like it could chain together pretty well. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap, especially yeah. in terms of just the the uh, language processing and stuff like that. Which again, they probably just license from Amazon or someone. Probably. Why not? I mean, yeah. Well, I don't know. Salesforce does like to reinvent every wheel it ever needs. Well, it depends. They might want that mm -hmm. data. That's true. Um, yeah, Richard Socher. Speaking of Richard Socher, he says. I guess that doing data entry in a Salesforce is one of the most dreaded parts of CRM. Of course, Salesforce would never allow anyone to utter those words until they have a solution for that. But it's not Salesforce that does that. What do you mean? It's, it's sales managers and sales VPs who want all this data, and they push it down to the users. Well, how's, your, how's your Einstein going to help you if you don't feed it a bunch of data? Well, that's why they have to spend money to hire assistants for high-performing sales reps to do the data entry for them. Which, yeah, that's, that works well. Which all goes back to my question of, when has Salesforce ever proven that Einstein gets you better results? Letting, well, when has, outsourcing your decisions to their AI. 
When has it been proven? Have that, there, when that have they sales, what have they done studies on this? When has it been proven that that sales runs on data? I shouldn't say it that way. Marketing runs on data. Sales runs but on sales, relationships. Sales runs on relationships and yeah. people. People. Yeah. yeah. Resources. When you so want to buy, when you want to make a John, big, they're, they're called resources. When you want to spend a ton of money, do you go to a website and just put in your credit card? No, you go and talk to somebody. You think. Benioff bought Time Magazine with a, with a credit card over the phone. He like logged into some website and says, let me put that in my shopping cart. Yeah, I don't know. No, Maybe. he went and talked to you people. Think, you don't think he did a one-click checkout? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sales runs on relationships and people talking. So here's more on the bot thing. It, um, in addition to the voice assistant, Salesforce announced that customers can build their own voice bots on the Einstein bot platform. This means a company can launch a customer service bot, for example, which customers can interact with through their Google Assistant or Amazon Echo. A customer can ask routine questions through their smart speaker, and then Salesforce will source the appropriate response from the company's Salesforce profile. That's so a that, good deal for accessibility. Well, so you can, so what do you do? You put your, your Echo on your desk, and then just when you want to, hey, uh, uh, Angie, I'm just going to say another name. Uh, log a call for me. I just talked to Bob Smith. Just through the Alexa. I mean, I don't. Okay. I guess. Just well, say I guess the benefit of that it's it's you've already got a microphone that's listening to you constantly. Might as well use that. <clears throat> Versus, Salesforce doesn't have that. You'd have to like push a button on your screen that would then turn your microphone on or something. Mm. That actually makes sense. I think again, I think that's kind of pragmatic. They're like, hey, everyone's got these home. Well, it's an evolution. I mean, you could hook it up to that or maybe hook it into to Siri or to Google or... Right. And then now, now you've got instant communication. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. And, and I, don't, I think probably the reason why they didn't do Siri is just because I don't think Apple would let them do that. Right? No, or, or, I think well, Siri, Siri does open themselves up to third party They now. do. It's just... It's, but it's for real constrained use cases. Which I, I think this is, is at this point. I think it's very constrained. No, no. Not, constra not, not limited... Because just the underlying thing is limited, constrained to what Apple considers to be valid use cases. Things oh. there's only a few things that you can do with Siri as compared to the Echo, for example, mm. which you can have it just make fart noises if you want. Trust me, my kids figured it out. Really? No, oh, yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm gonna have to just try that out. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, maybe maybe they'll do some demos. At I'm really curious to see what the demos are like. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, see what their use, their in their vision of a use case. Is. I mean, they'll be as contrived as that Cisco. You know, letting uh, putting the Google goggles on and and replacing your Cisco blade in your in your rack. You yeah. know, They're or or the uh, no even more even more contrived the Microsoft IO driven IoT demonstration they did. Well, Microsoft's going to have them beat which on augmented was reality because they have the HoloLens. Fake. <laughs> Did you hear me? Yeah, Microsoft has HoloLens, yeah. yeah. And they're pushing that. So what is HoloLens? This is their augmented reality VR headset thingy. They've also been pushing their AI technology as well, which they don't have, they don't have the sexy Einstein branding that they have. They just call it like Dynamics AI or something. So I have run across um, people in the wild that are... The wild companies, I guess, that do actually use, still use Google Glass. Mm. They send texts out. Who was I talking to the other day? 
I can't remember now, but they their techs have that they have to go on site to fix stuff, mm-hmm. and they put on Google glasses and they'll open up. I can't even remember. I don't know if it was a copy machine or wh- whatever it was they were working on. Mm-hmm. And they've got someone in their ear that's more of an expert that's telling them what to do, what to look for, whatever. Hmm. And they're and they're the person back home or whatever seeing you know seeing what they're seeing. I see a lot of use cases like that in certain industries that I mean, that's, just, that's beneficial. It's a, it's a glorified cell phone camera at that point, but well, you people remember. I mean, you could just you could just FaceTime and just it's like I do that all the time. Bi- it's thing. biological virtual presence. Um. Anyway, okay. Well, have fun at Dreamforce. Those that are going, uh, be sure to join our happy hour. You're going to be there. Yeah, Go there's to, a link on the website. Yep, right. www.goodday.sirpodcast.com forward slash happy hour. All the details are there. It's going to be in Berkeley, so you have to get on the uh, the BART, but probably just go with everyone else. Probably a group that meets and goes over together. Yeah. Get out of the uh, ridiculous overcrowdedness of. I was talking to a client today who's going, and they were talking about how, and this is a customer who's going. Are they a client or a customer? Well, they're a Salesforce customer. Okay. But they're they're my client. They're my client. But um, yeah, they're saying they just had to rent a house. (laughs) If you can find one, yeah. Yeah. Just because it was just too expensive to get everyone a room. They're just like, I'm just going to rent a house and have everyone stay there. The other thing that happens is people that knew they were going to Dreamforce and like booked Airbnbs early and stuff um, before the rates went up too much. Uh, the all the Airbnb people canceled those their reservations. Really? Yeah, just so they could get rebooked by someone who's willing to pay, you know, ten times more. Wow, that happens all the time. Pretty shady. Yeah, that's a problem with Airbnb. I don't like those things. I don't like Airbnb. I don't like Uber. I don't like Lyft. I don't like those. No, I like the car things just because I don't, you know, I just got to sit in a car for ten minutes. But the whole sleeping on someone's sheets that I don't know if they're clean, and I mean, just I've had. It's some not great experiences with Airbnb. It's just yeah. never what I needed to be. Hmm. Not to mention the hidden cams. That too. And the, you know, you connect to their Wi-Fi and... On your data. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> sorry for scaring anybody who's doing know. that right now. We're just weird. Yep. Uh, so let, uh, let's do this last news item. Survey Monkeys IPO. Salesforce, I think, got about 40 million. Is that what I read? Of shares? Yeah, forty million in the new IPO. So, what do you think? What do you think the chances are of SurveyMonkey becoming a Salesforce property someday? Well, was Salesforce Adventures or Salesforce Ventures mm-hmm. invested in it? Yep. I don't think that necessarily means anything. I mean, they run that pretty separately from Salesforce. I mean, there's been cases when Salesforce has ended up buying stuff, but yeah, no, it seems like a good fit. It seems like something they don't have that would be a good fit. A lot of companies do a lot of surveying. It's- I was shocked that a a web based survey tool went. At this in, in 2018, because <laughs> these things have been around since almost the beginning of the web now. Like, yeah, and people, you can do like a free Google survey. I know. But this thing is, yeah. And it was able to IPO. I mean, yeah. crazy. So, I mean, more power than two of them. Good, good job, guys. And it took them like, what, 17 years to go public and get their exit. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Docker Desktop. We're getting a Docker 2.0, which is weird because like the current community version is like 18 point something CE dumped something something. And it should become a, an official 2.00 release soon. And so you'll have what's called, what was formerly Docker for Windows, Docker for Mac will become Docker Desktop. And people are emailing me. I've got to turn that off. What is, um, so what is Docker Desktop? I, I think it's the same thing. I think they're just rebranding it and they're, off, they're putting more um, tooling options in the, in, the, in the menu system for Docker. 
um, starting and stopping Kubernetes and creating a bunch of different things. Again, I'm, I just learned about it today. I think it just mm. got talked about yesterday. I, I'm just, I don't have it open right now because I have to close it because it, I try to close everything before we start recording, but. Well, it's not out yet. I mean, I think you can like, get. Is that, but I wanna, is that what I run on my Mac though? Is that Docker desktop? Yeah, that, what the, your little icon should be, it's, it's Docker for Win for Mac in your case, but it's yeah. going to become Docker desktop. Okay. I Honestly, I didn't ever pay attention to the name. Maybe it's already called Docker Desktop. I don't know. Well, it's technically Community Edition, but I think they're—I don't know what their rebranding is or why they're rebranding it. But then they're supposed to add more capabilities to it. So I think they're trying to create more of a kind of like MAMP has its all tooling for starting and stopping things and managing things from your little kind of window. I think that's what they're trying to add. Hmm. It's something that's a little more accessible for people over pure command line stuff. I'm surprised at all the Kubernetes stuff that Docker has been building into Docker now. <clears throat> it's weird. and I don't fully understand. I feel like I feel like Docker just gave up on the whole orchestration part of containers. But I don't know. I guess I've had people explain to me that how Kubernetes offers a different. It's almost at a different layer in the stack than like Docker Swarm does. Mm. So I don't know. I don't. I don't do enough with. I mean, I use containers mainly for development <clears throat> and some stuff that you know, in production. But it's it's relatively simple stuff. It's not. I don't have like, you know. 75 different microservices that'll have to be spun up and different with different parameters and everything. That's mm -hmm. when I'll, like, you know, Docker and Mesos and all those things, you know, or not Docker, but um, Kubernetes and Mesos. And you got to have like real all kinds of multiple layers of fancy orchestration and stuff. Yeah. Kind of, kind of hurts my brain to think about it. <laughs> well, I kind of have an issue that I wanted to get your input on. Okay. Um, hopefully it doesn't hurt your brain considering you're tired. No, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm on fumes. They're, they, these fumes smell great, but I'm on fumes. <laughs> so I have this problem and I think I need a pattern, but I don't know what pattern applies here. And the issue is I have to run some logic and that logic can be executed by minimum of probably five different objects. So something changes on one of these five objects and it has to run this logic. And the problem I'm coming into is some of those operations do interact with the other with those same objects, so I want to prevent this code from running multiple times. So let's say, I'll, I'll try to be more specific. Let's say a user is created that runs a bunch of sharing logic. Okay, An opportunity changes that runs a bunch of sharing logic. It's all the same sharing logic, okay. but it, it has to basically whittle it down to the event and saying, okay, what opportunities are affected by this event figure that out, and then tell the sharing job to go and run the operation that audits all the opportunities to figure out what shares it has to create. And I'm using shares here loosely. <laughs> Thus the scare quotes. Thus the square quotes. Square, square quotes. Square quotes. <laughs> square quotes. Square quotes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the problem I was having is certain operations call back to say the opportunity or call back to say to update information on those objects, which causes another refire of those triggers. And so I'm tracking the opportunity IDs to say, okay, I've already run the logic for this. Don't run it again. It should be safe to ignore. Okay. <clears throat> so I thought when I was unit testing, I was running into issues where my code wouldn't that's, fire because integration in, setting up, okay, in integration testing, I was setting up the data, which was causing my triggers to fire. Thus, it wouldn't allow my test to fire. Yeah. So I had to build in this kill switch that said, disable my trigger so yeah. I can set up the data so yeah. that I can run it and, or enable it and then run it. And that's fine. But now that we're doing functional testing in the system, I'm noticing that the jobs aren't firing when I expect them to. And as I look at the logs, I'm seeing that certain things are firing. It's processing before 
the data it needs to say, go and create this share. And so by the time the code does run to say, go create this share, it says, oh, I've already run logic on that opportunity. Don't run it again. So it never runs my logic. So I feel like I'm in this situation where I need to turn off tracking of opportunities so that it runs every time and make sure everything is in sync. But then if I do that, certain operations will cause SQL limit issues because I, I have to account for a ton of things, a ton of scenarios, and I have to pull in a bunch of stuff. You know what? I'll say this just real quick because I don't want to hijack your thread here. <laughs> but it's really annoying that oftentimes in, you know, complex orgs, just setting up your data so in order to run basically like an integration or functional test, you hit limits. Yeah. I can't even set I can't even set the data up in the test. Yeah. But it brings me to another thought, and I'm gonna and then I'll pop the stack so I don't hijack this thread, <laughs> which is tr you know, trigger like uh like a trigger framework or just the the notion of in general of a on a trigger of the ability to disable the trigger mm -hmm. and whether or not that is a good idea to have but we i think we should save that though let's just back brain of that yeah um the f okay when you're about halfway through your question you're talking about like there's all these there's some logic that needs to run and it needs to be triggered by all these different things mm -hmm. right um, i immediately think of the observer pattern because ideally you don't want to couple all those other things to, to various different logic implementers like they shouldn't have to know they shouldn't have to know about your this other logic. <clears throat> what, well, it doesn't. What so, would be a minimal a minimal burden is for them to know about an observable interface that allows your logic guy and other things mm -hmm. to simply register with them and say, "Hey, I'm interested in stuff you have to you know your events." Mm -hmm. So these different mm -hmm. things can implement an observable interface that just allows observers to register. Hey, um, add me because I want to know when you have an event. Mm -hmm. And so then all the different things are just, they're, they're all they're, the only thing they're coupled to is an observable interface. No specific logic or anything. Mm -hmm. So so that's what, that's it doesn't, what doesn't really help the situation because the, the root error that I'm getting is the fact that this code could run multiple times. Right. And so when you got further in your story, now you're dealing with like, sounds like trigger hell and all kinds of stuff. Right. In order to avoid running logic more times than I have to, I log in a static map. And what I log is the ID, and I log a counter against that ID. Right now, my max counter is one. I could change it to two, and that might help. I could change it to three, and that might help. And then at some point, I'm like, okay, why am I counting? Because I'm just going to run it for every, every time this event happens. My goal is to avoid this code running so many times that I hit a SQL limit. Why is it running more than once at all? Well, because as it's modifying certain things, certain mm. things end up modifying other things back up you, the you chain. Are, you, son, you are in trigger hell. I know. You are in trigger hell. But all of these scenarios are important in order to keep the data in sync. This is, and it's so weird when I talk to Salesforce developers about how tr trigger, simply implementing an entire giant system and database triggers may not be the best architectural way to go. They're like, huh? What, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Then I'm like, oh, that, that's why I like to, I think our conversation last week, like go, go learn, go learn another system just so you know, uh, just so you have other ideas in your head. You know, you, you, you understand other patterns, how other systems in the world do it, you know, so mm -hmm. you're not just a, 
This is how Salesforce does it. And that's all I know. That's all I know is what Salesforce told me to do. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like there isn't a good answer to this. I still need to explore ways to kind of get around this. Um, I need to be able to trigger this logic on user creation, on, on a document attachments to opportunities. There's a concept of a related contact separate from opportunity contact that has to be factored in. Um, there's a con uh, there's updates or creation updates of documents if I didn't say that already. Um, modifications to the account. And then of course within that, not just creation, it has to, it has to solve for a creation and then changes to state that it cares about. And the way my, my code handles it is it tries to distill everything down to an opportunity ID. It goes and says, okay, you're a contact relationship. Go and grab all, your, all the opportunities that, that you're related to. Or if you're a new user, what opportunities are you related to? And by user, I mean portal user. So it's possible for a contact to be related to an opportunity through this object. But once they become a user, because they're now active portal user, I have to go through and figure out what shares they need. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think this is one of those things where you just, you're going to have to keep Probably what you'll end up doing is just keep changing stuff until it finally kind of works. And you'll be like, I really don't know why it's working, but it is working. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's working. It was working. But then I found a minor gap in a certain situation. And I'm like, I don't know how to solve for that unless I up my max counter, my, my max execution counter to two. And the problem is, is I mean, it's, in my opinion, as soon as you have the notion of a counter and you let it go over one, yeah. now, now you're, you know, you're That's in the, my fear. Yeah. You, you know, you're, um, you're in this area where, yeah, it might just be two or three right now, but what happens when that's like nine or 10 or, you know, someone comes in later, maybe you, maybe someone else and adds a little bit more functionality and it, yeah, it's a pain. I mean, I will say that um, this is one of those areas where just understanding like the domain driven design concepts, like, um, and I actually, I don't even know if that's where this originated from, but if you look at all your Salesforce, I guess, objects, and group them into aggregates and understand where your aggregate roots are. And then, because I always like to base all my functionality, if possible, around um, an aggregate root. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if something happens to like one of the accessory objects of, in an aggregate, not the root, I really want it to go fire up whatever it is that manages that aggregate root and have it do everything. And when it's done, just saves that whole graph of uh -huh. data. Now, Salesforce doesn't have like you know, any kind of um, ORM unit of work type of thing. So you're going to be doing a lot of manual figuring out like what DML to do, what things to actually say, what change and whatever. But it's still at least, at least you're controlling, like you're, again, you're, you're bringing that aggregate into memory and doing stuff. And the aggregate can, can control, like it can enforce the business rules. Mm -hmm. It can, it can, um, it can create additional records and whatever, if it needs to. But you're you're taking that out of triggers and you're moving it into action, into code, like yeah. non-trigger code in a way. And and, and actually, that's exactly what I've done. It, it all boils down to the root opportunity. So everything just tries to figure out what opportunity is affected by this event, and then it sends that to a single class that knows how to handle opportunity stuff. And so DML isn't even my issue. DML is perfect. It's it's scalable. It's it it identifies what it needs to update and wh and whatever. The issue is, in order to collect that graph of data, I have to do a bunch of queries. Yeah. And there's no getting around it. Mm. But if you only have to do it once, that may not be so bad. Well, because I have to... It's, I have, it's, it's if I this thing can become... Query. If this thing can become, what's the word, like re-entrant or um, 
No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, come on, recursive. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, <clears throat> you insert record A and it creates, you know, trigger runs and it creates record, you know, something in object B mm-hmm. and then object B's trigger runs and it's like, oh, I need a new record A and that, you know, you get this. <laughs> well, the problem is... This uh, is, infinite loop here. Let, let, let's say an operation happens on the user and so that it has to go out and find all the opportunities that are related to that user. Okay. That's a query that has to happen every time. Doesn't matter how many counters or whatever. And then I have another operation that 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 somehow modifies another record, and it, that operation has to go out and find out what opportunities it's affected. So the problem is collecting and finding out what opportunities are affected ends up being, let's say, ten queries. And then if that run is allowed to run two or three times because these things are kind of stepping on each other's toes and refiring other events then it starts to become an issue. Yeah. And that's where I start running into SQL issues. Yeah. Um, I, I probably could shortcut this by making the operation asynchronous, but the problem is I can't report errors back to the user, and I really need them to know mm-hmm. that there was an error in this operation. Yep. They're not savvy enough to go into a log. They're not savvy enough to go and look at the batch apex error log or even a custom object log that says here's an error. They don't know what to do with right. it. Right, and if it's asynchronous, I mean, they... They think everything's happened just fine. Yeah, and 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 now you've let them continue on and possibly yep. further modify that data, and, and it's like all it's, it's much all easier to throw an error. They take a screenshot and send it to me, and I know something's happened, and I can address it. If it's asynchronous and there's some log they have to go into, it's not going to happen. They're going to think everything went fine. They're going to ignore it, and I need them to stop because it means certain things aren't happening, and yeah. because this involves portal users, that means their data is going to be inaccurate, and so I have to know when there's an issue. So I have to make this synchronous. The, the other problem with that whole trigger-driven development is it's so hard to reason about. I yeah. mean, even really smart people, I mean, I've, I've seen them trying to figure out what is happening with triggers, and it's just like... It's tough. It's almost impossible in some cases. It's like just to figuring out why things ran the number of times they ran. Yeah. Because it gets very, I mean, talk about inception. I mean, many levels of inception start to layer on top of each other. Yeah. And it's, and it's you're literally building this uh, a stack and it just keeps like adding onto the stack. And it's just, at some point, human brains cannot, cannot understand this. I know. I thought about getting crazy and kind of trying to identify certain operations that would allow re-triggering and then add that to some static resource that it can check and reset the counters. But I don't know. I feel like that's just asking for more trouble. Yeah. But it, it might work. Yeah. But again, I was just wondering if there's like some kind of pattern I missed or something that, that might help me out here, but it doesn't seem like that. I think I'm just in trigger hell. Yeah, you are. So I would, I don't know, just keep, again, keep shifting bits around until it actually works and then <laughs> don't ask why. Keep shifting the bits, huh? <laughs> um, All right, John. Well, let's let's wrap this thing up, man. I'm tired. Tired? Yeah. Do you have any, any other uh, burning topics? Uh, I kind of did. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's do a time check here. Well, it's lightning related. Right it's not like it can't wait till next week if if we want to do that. It's just lightning development talk. Okay. Stuff I'm learning. Stuff I've done. This will be a John monologue, but if you want to. Well, we can, we yeah, can save ahead. that. Go ahead. No. I mean, how are we what, talking about? Five, ten minutes here? <laughs> it's lightning. It's never five or ten no, minutes. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we save it then. At least we'll have a topic lined up for next week, John. Yeah, we can do that. All right. Um, so we talked about the um, happy hour. You can see 
information on that at our, on our website. Mm-hmm. If you are going to be in at Dreamforce or in the Bay Area in general, um, hey, normally please. normally doing the keynote, we we get on Slack and we sit there and banter. Um, yeah, I don't so. really know if I have time. When is um, when is the keynote? I don't even know. I'll have to figure that out. I'm just I'm busy. Well, the community does. That's true. Yeah, I mean, a lot. A lot of, I, Not everyone wants to hear your opinion well, on that stuff, Jeremy. Yeah. That's what that's what my <laughs> wife tells me. Um, we we don't ask about this often, but uh, please subscribe. If you don't subscribe to this podcast, then just subscribe instead of having to download manually. You'll get it automatically, right? Well, some people like to yeah. download. Uh, like if you have bits. if you uh, if there's a topic you want us to cover, if you have questions or whatever, you can shoot us an email info at goodday.sirpodcast dot com. Uh, if you have feedback or something you want us to do on the air, we will not use your name unless you specifically ask us to. You will be by default anonymous. Uh, please leave us reviews and hearts and stars, mm-hmm. and tell your friends. And we promise to have a little bit more energy next time, or I will try to. And since next week's Dreamforce, uh, yeah, hit us up on our email or in Slack and let us know what you liked, what you heard, what you were excited about, what you weren't excited about, um, or topics. Yeah. That'd be great. We, we need like a hits and misses. What was good, what was not good. And uh, of course, get your poop maps out. That's watch, true. Install the app before watch you Watch where you're stepping. <laughs> uh, be safe. Always travel in groups. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and try to enjoy yourself. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.